Hail Dictinus, grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Telling scary stories is something people have done for thousands of years, for most of us like being scared in that way. Since there isn't any danger, we think it is fun. Welcome to Spooky Stories Pride Edition, the 250th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of Alvin Schwartz, the author of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Our opening and closing music is credited as Frostwalt Alternate by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0. You may call me Ode. Mary Mead, my name is Gwyn, Ode's mother, and I love a spooky story. We love spooky stories. We love them. We're big fans. Big fans. Big stories. Spooky story for me. And this time, all our spooky stories were submitted by members of That's the Pride. Right. I'm so excited about this. Yes, this I is fun. This will be fun. We have not read them in detail because mm-hmm. we want to be surprised mm-hmm. by our stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I skimmed them all and I divvied them up, and we end up with eight stories total. So mm-hmm. four to Gwyn and four to me. Mm-hmm. And thank you for those of you who shared yes. your stories. Some of them are. Fiction stories, some of mm-hmm. them are personal encounters, and we got a couple of poems, mm-hmm. and so we just got a good range. All good stuff. Yep. Real quick, we'll do housekeeping. Mm-hmm. First of all, obviously, shit is still going on in Gaza, mm. so please go to ceasefirenow.com or .org. I don't remember. It's it's either ceasefirenow.com or ceasefirenow.org. Go there and do all those things on the list. All the things. A lot of it's, you know, send an email to your congressperson, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. The other thing is that... On the week of November the 14th, we will not be recording Mm -hmm. because I have jury duty. (laughs) (laughs) And and it overlaps with recording and editing times. That's right. So we won't be doing it that week. (laughs) (laughs) We just came to that decision like yesterday, I think. Yeah, yeah. We thought, oh, yeah, that would be kind of Yeah, that would would be one too many thing to try to juggle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, there will be no recording that week, and that's why I'm performing my civic duty. That's right. Hopefully only the one day. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. Uh, anything else for housekeeping, Gwen? No, other than tomorrow, when the uh, episode airs, it will be... It will be... Halloween. It will be Halloween. It will be the day of. The day of Halloween, or Samhain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Rannon says, your jury duty runs that late. No, what it is is that... On Monday, anytime after 5 p.m., I have to call and find out when my jury duty t- is scheduled for the next day. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if it will overlap with my editing time yep. or not. Yep. <laughs> All right. So that is it for housekeeping. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we are house kept and... House swept. Hooray. Time for spooky, spooky stories. Spooky stories. Spooky, spooky stories. From the members of the Pride. Yes. I'll start first. Okay. Okay, so this first story is from Natalie. Natalie writes, The first one is that I have seen a small girl at my bedside and peering from behind the drawer's cabinet. Which I guess is like the bedside table, maybe? maybe? the bedside table. Mm -hmm. My husband has seen her too, and we thought it was my daughter, who was about fifth grade at the time, but she was over at my ex-husband's house. So definitely not. Definitely not her daughter. Hmm. Then there was an older African-American who was looking at the fern plant we had in the living room. My son and husband have seen a ghost cat. I have often thought that there were parallel universes which could explain heaven. And when we see a ghost or spirit, maybe for that second, the streams have crossed. Hmm. I like that idea. 
Yeah, so you're not seeing, like, a dead person from your reality, mm-hmm. but you're seeing, like, a one. living person from a different one. Well, you know, I, I did ghost hunting for a while back in the day. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, we ran into was things that people thought were active hauntings were actually a place memory. Right. We've talked about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. where things just are kind of on a loop. Yeah, just repeating. Mm-hmm. I, I can definitely see that this is a kind of a theory that could have yeah some, so like some maybe points maybe the little girl that they thought was her daughter mm-hmm. was her daughter but from a parallel dimension Ooh, wouldn't that be interesting where like she was at the house that day instead of at that and maybe the older african-american who was looking at the fern plant maybe mm-hmm. he was wandering through admiring the the plant because maybe he was a gardener right or maybe that was maybe that's his house in maybe another it dimension was. In another dimension, he's like, how "Where's the this hell fern did, plant get where did here? This, how did this get here? Maybe he's as freaked out right? as if, you know. This isn't my plant. This isn't my plant. <laughs> this is supposed to be a lamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Who could say? I love that idea. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's cool. That's a fun interpretation. Yeah. Thank you for sharing these stories, Natalie. Yes. Very cool. I also have a real life ghost encounter submitted by Justin Stanage. Ooh. Okay. This one's a little longer. So it is October 5th, 2012. We were setting up camp for the 150th anniversary reenactment of the Battle of Perryville in Kentucky. The battlefield being a state park, we were able to be on the original field. Our camps were where theirs were. Our guns would be in their wheel ruts. Camp setup itself was uneventful. My commanding officer was getting in late that evening with the gun. Since this was the case and it was a warm night, one of my unit mates and I decided to go for a walk. Our camp was at the top of a steep hill, and at the bottom of it was a small stream. We didn't know it at the time, but that would be the first of three encounters that night. Like I said, it was a warm evening. We were heading to Sutler's Row, Vendors, which was stationed near the Park Visitor Center and the Confederate Cemetery that was there. To get there, we had to cross the stream. When we did so, it got rather cold, but just over the water. The banks and everything near there was still warm. We couldn't figure it out at the time, but we found out the next day that it had been a drought in 1862, and this was one of the few sources of water available, and many wounded crawled there only to die. Wow. The next night was still warm, and we also crossed that stream. No temperature changes. Make of that what you will. After being a little confused by this, we headed to the settlers to see if any were open. None were yet, but the local ghost hunting group was doing EVP tours in the Confederate Cemetery. We didn't go in, but we leaned on the border wall just listening. They were getting fairly good results, and we were both pinging off the presence of at least a few in the cemetery. Minor as this was, this put us headed in the direction of our main encounter. Leaving the cemetery area, we walked to the edge of the main battlefield we would be using the next day. We stood against a split rail fence, talking for a good couple hours about the war, ghosts, spiritualism in general. All the while, we had the feeling we were being watched. We kept talking, but we both started pinging off this one large tree to our right about a hundred yards away. Looking that direction, we started discussing what we were seeing. Admittedly, it wasn't much at that moment. All we could see through the leaves up in the trees were two glowing eyes. I even asked my comrade what he saw without revealing first for verification. Confirmed. Exactly the same. We stood there, continuing to discuss this and other topics for another hour or so. By now, it's going on 11 and it's cooling off. Neither of us brought our uniform coats, so we were starting to get cold. Around then, I got a phone call saying the gun was about to be in camp and we needed to help unload. After this call, I made one of the dumbest decisions in my <laughs> spiritual life. Oh, no. Oh, I love that as, an, oh, oh, no. <laughs> as a line. Oh, no. I walked to the base of the tree while my comrade stayed where we had been. 
I looked up into the face of what we had seen while touching the trunk of the tree. I got hit with a blast of energy that physically sent me reeling, and for several minutes I had dry heaves while barely being able to walk. Oh, yeah. What did I see, you may be asking? I saw the same eyes looking at me from the branches and what was left of a face. It was obviously a man, a Union soldier based on the uniform I saw in that short glimpse. However, from roughly the nose down, there were absolutely no features. The jawline was there, but the mouth and nose were non-existent, just a flat blank. When we told about this experience later in camp, the theory was that he had been shot there and it was missing. As we stumbled away back to camp, me still heaving, my comrade said that he had an experience at the moment I touched the tree as well. With his permission, when I stopped heaving, I poked him in many places on his chest. By then it was downright cold, and every spot on him was cold skin, save one over his heart. It was quite hot. A couple years before, another unit member had told me about an encounter he had had at another event where the ghost had leveled off at him, and his shoulder suddenly became quite hot. A fact I hadn't told my comrade before checking so as not to influence him. Short answer was, he got shot. We had been about a hundred yards from the tree, well within effective musket range of a sniper. Postscript to this story. Fast forward several years, and I was watching an episode of Ghost Adventures on the Travel Channel. This was the second episode they had done from Perryville, and of course I was interested in, epi- in any episodes related to the Civil War. They were doing a mock hospital scene in one of the buildings that had indeed been a hospital during the battle to drum up EVPs. During the reenactment, this building had been used as a headquarters building and, coincidentally, was actually near where we had been standing. During the episode, they showed a picture that had been taken in the house of a ghost. What I saw chilled me to the bone, because there, on screen, was an image that looked almost identical to what I had seen that night. Assuming it was the same spirit, my assumption is that it saw the soldiers massing again and moved out to join the battle. Wow. Spooky. Yeah. There must be so much shit like that at at, um, reenactment sites. Oh, yes. I, I have had some weird experiences and sensations when I've gone to, like, uh, I think it was Fort Washington, mm-hmm. um, I remember, you know, just I was standing at, uh, we had walked out because it was on, like, a cliff kind of a thing mm-hmm. and kind of walked away. And you could see the the uh, fort, mm-hmm. you know, and I turned around and looked at it and I swear I could see, you know, different images of soldiers mm-hmm. where they, you know, like guarding the tops yeah. and stuff. Gettysburg. Oh, my God. I mean, a that, lot at Gettysburg. A lot at Gettysburg. Just feelings and sensations, mm-hmm. and you know, it's just it's it's a very active. Yeah, place. I think I was there. I think I went to Gettysburg when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was not really like spiritually active at the time, but there was certainly a heavy vibe there. Very heavy vibe, absolutely. I think Justin is right that like especially areas that mm. are used for reenactment, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the spirits, the... the spirits, you know, seeing all this activity that reminds them of. Mm-hmm. The, the final days of their lives, yeah, yeah exactly. probably makes them more active. Yeah, I would think so because it it uh, it's a reenactment. Yeah, and so it brings that same energy, mm-hmm. that the same uniforms, the same yeah. look. You know, uh, yeah, memories, memories. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting mm-hmm. and very spooky story, Justin. Very Thank spooky. You. Thank you. Okay, so Gwen, what's your okay. next one? This one is offered to us by Ames of Ashland. One day when I was five years old. My family and I returned home from a shopping trip. We had just purchased my first big kid bed, and I bounded into the bedroom, excited to visualize it in the space. To my surprise, I saw a woman there. 
Interestingly, I wasn't immediately terrified, but I remember thinking I should probably get my mom. <laughs> I went to the living room and brought her by the hand to the bedroom. The lady had vanished. I was angry because I knew it would be difficult to explain. Fair point. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. My mother noticed that something was wrong at this point in my life, I knew nothing about the supernatural, but I was sure she wouldn't believe me. Mommy, there was a lady there. I remember being surprised at how much I had discerned about her in such a short period of time. She had short, very fluffy hair and a long, thin, flowing white gown. She didn't feel mean exactly, but there was something uncomfortably detached about her. Hmm. Somehow she was able to convey a kind of interest in me, but I also knew that she wouldn't mind scaring me. As expected, my poor Christian mother didn't believe me, but she was kind about it. Perhaps the busy evening and all the odd things happening sent my imagination into overdrive. I knew this wasn't it. Over the next several weeks, the entity visited me frequently. She never spoke but just sat there watching. I don't know how, but she communicated to me that she had a sister and showed me how the two of them used to dance at balls. I didn't have the frame of reference for this then, but their dresses were from the turn of the century. For ease of referencing these occasions to others, I gave her a name, the Uz. Every morning That's at That's a breakfast, very five-year-old name. I know, isn't it? <laughs> Every morning at breakfast, I verbally downloaded the previous evening's events, and every morning I was quaintly dismissed. I grew increasingly frustrated because I knew the difference between facts and hysteria. I hated being patronized. I even cut out a picture from a magazine of a model that vaguely resembled the us. But alas, there was no convincing them. Person, I know how you're feeling. <laughs> Several more weeks went by. And I learned how to sort of dim my awareness of the us's energy. I don't recall how I did this, but I remember it kind of feeling like a silent agreement between us. Well, this happy little juncture in our journey came to a screeching halt when I woke up one morning to a full-grown man sitting on the end of my bed. Mm, not ideal. Mm. He was in profile with his feet on the floor and elbows on his knees. His clothes were ragged and desperately dirty. A bandage was wrapped sloppily around his head. A bit of blood was seeping through the side that faced me. His demeanor was the picture of dejection. Even with the blood, what frightened me the most was that the bed dipped beneath him. There was nothing about him that did not register as real. This time, I fully acted like the five-year-old I was. I ran screaming into my parents' bedroom, breathlessly pointing across the hall. All I could say was, man, over and over again. My father went to check, then my mother, and eventually they called me in. Look, honey, nothing my mother's sigh that morning was nearly as upsetting as what I'd seen. She was growing weary of my sightings. I knew when she sat down beside my bed that evening that we were going to have a talk. <laughs> <laughs> I hunkered down for it. 
my sole hope being that my mother didn't think I was broken or wrong. She explained what a ghost was, emphasizing that there was no such thing. (laughs) If people saw them, they were either lying or imagining them. The trick then, she argued, was to convince yourself in the moment that you weren't actually seeing anything. Hmm, this sounded flimsy to me, but what was I going to do? I I completely agree. Yeah, that's... Completely agree. Now, I mean, admittedly, if I was a person who did not believe in spirits and my five-year-old was seeing Mm -hmm. ghosts, I don't know how I would explain it either, but Mm -hmm. that feels insufficient to me. Uh Uh-huh. That night, I settled down like any other with my teddy. She came earlier than usual. The us? The us. My mother had hardly exited the room before I felt the us beckoning me to look down. One side of my bed was against the wall. I pulled my body to the other side. Always a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Don't look under. Don't look under. Looked down and watched as her face and shoulders emerged Mm -mm. from beneath the bed. Fuck Mm -mm. no! Mm -mm -mm -mm. Okay, that's covers time. Mm -hmm. That is covers time. Mm -hmm. Fuck that. (laughs) Let's find out what Ames did. Okay, so we were face to face. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus. (laughs) Brave little five-year-old. Brave little five-year-old. We were... Face to face, just staring at each other with a scant foot or so between us. Mm-mm. She had that unsettling look in her eye. Okay, okay, this. You're not real, I stated flatly. She just kept staring. So I added some volume. My mommy says <laughs> you're not real. She smiled. Ooh and then beckoned me with a curl of her index finger to come closer. No, child. Don't do it, Don't do it. Don't do it, baby Ames in the past. Don't do it, baby. Don't. (laughs) I've got the chills going here. I'm like, no, don't do it. Uh Okay. We know Ames survives to write this account. (laughs) Right. My God, this could be a movie. All right. She took my hand. Stuck my finger in her mouth uh-uh. and bit down. Uh-uh. Hard. <laughs> what a bitch. <laughs> the us is mean. The us is mean. Her message was loud and clear to me. I am real. And I'll eat you. <laughs> Here's the proof and you can go fuck what people say. Naturally, I ended up sleeping on my parents' floor that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm impressed you got out of bed. Yes. I never referenced her out loud again, and there is something inexplicably sad about that to me. We moved a few months after this, and I never saw the us again. I do believe she was connected to that location. However, I also believe that I had access to a portal that was subsequently closed by the fears and prejudices of the living. Hmm. That and you were a very psychic child, You're my very friend. very small psychic very, baby, yeah. Very, very, very sensitive small child. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, a lot of children are. A yeah. lot of yeah. children, especially around the ages and of you, four you and to... five, you're, you're more open to that type of activity. And you'll hear, often you'll hear stories mm-hmm. of small children who are seeing great-grandparents they've never met yeah. or beings in their room. I experienced that myself, you know. Um, I want to, I want to call out a couple of comments that we had in the uh, Discord, because the Discord was very responsive to that story. (laughs) Uh, Rhiannon was imagining the Uz 
sliding, uh, making the slide whistle sound as she popped out from under the bed. Oh my god, that is seriously. I was, I <laughs> no. As soon as we got to that, I was like, mm. uh-uh, uh, no. There, there were a lot of nope, nope, nope reactions to that. Uh, when nope, nope. when uh, she bit uh, Ames. Finger, Finn said, we throw in hands. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Ames was much so brave. braver than I ever would have been. I yeah. would have been under that sheet. Uh, under said, the covers. Fuck you, yeah. bitch. I am not going to look at you in the face. And Elle says, I don't think I would want to be on the floor, especially near a bed. Yeah, no. No. no I would have been no. under those covers. Oh, my God. Ames. <laughs> that was an amazing story. Very well written. Very well written. Spooky. Spooky. You spooked us. And oh my God. All I can do, as a mom, I'm sitting there going, no, no, no stop. No. Don't do it. Don't as do a psychic it. Yeah. mom, yeah. I'm sitting like, stop, no, don't do it. no, don't do it. Just don't. Very spooky. Yeah, get that child a pentacle and, or a cross or, or some holy salt. water, salt. <laughs> get rid of that damn ghost. <laughs> yeah, I know you feel sad about it, Ames, but I'm glad for you yes. that you escaped that ghost. Damn. <laughs> Holy shit. That was a very... Plus, what was even up with that other ghost? There was the I guy, know, that's too. Sad. That That sounded very sad. Yeah. He sounded very, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Hurt and sad. Fucked and up. Fucked up. Yeah, yeah. That was very sad. But he didn't seem like he was threatening. No. Whereas the Uz had yes. a little bit of a threat. Yeah. Good grief. <laughs> you were right on that first impression of, you she doesn't right. mind scaring or hurting me. No. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> All right. So, uh, I have a poem now. Okay. From Sarah Credence, and the poem is called Not Unlike That Story by Poe. Ooh. Yeah. So, tick, tock, the clock. Ticking, 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 it doesn't stop. Louder and louder it grows, hour after hour, relentless ticks burrowing into my brain. Tick. The shadows outside grow long. Night is reaching out to pull the world into quiet repose, but ever louder the ticking grows, not unlike that story by Poe. Tick, tick, tick. I feel the twitching of my eye in rhythm to that beat, unnerving that sound so steady, so constant. Tick. Unrelenting it goes on, ticking through the darkened halls. How is it that it grows louder as the darkness grows? So does that endless ticking, ticking, ticking through the hall, that steady metronome, piercing my conscience, displacing my tick, 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 sleep. Over my head the blankets go, hoping for some respite, tick, fainter but still tick. Constant and ruthless companion, and not unlike that story by Poe, that hideous, horrible ticking grows. Oh, that odious grandfather clock, three chimes ring the hour so late, and here still I lay awake. Tick, 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 he spites me. Now over my head the pillow goes, surely that will stop my woes. I pray not like that story by Poe. I scream in desperation, then something raps upon my door. I leap from the covers and rush to the hall. Through the peephole I look. No one is there. Now a phantom torments me. It must be like that story by Poe. 
tick. I swing around and see him looming there. Tick. My eye again starts its twitching. Tick. This is it. I grab the hammer from the shelf. A primal scream escapes my lips as I lunge towards my heartless foe. Tick. Still reveling in his cruelty, he mocks me. Tick. 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 As the hammer rains strike upon his wicked face. Tick. 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 With that final breath, it ends. His assault upon my sanity over, I sink to the couch in blissful exhaustion, awaiting sleep to drop upon me as drifting dreams await. Tick. One eye pops open. Tick. And then begins to twitch. Tick. How? Slowly around the circle I stalk, but he lies there in ruins, for I have killed that grandfather clock. There is no doubt about it. He lies shattered there on the floor, but still that ticking lingers on. Tick. No. No, that isn't ticking, is it? Drip. 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 No. Into the kitchen I dash, drip. I reach the sink and tighten the faucet and remove the cookie sheet I had left there to dry. It was never that ruined grandfather clock at all, no haunting from the quill of Poe, just a simple drip. Nothing more. Silence. Ah well, I sigh. Finally some peace. Sleep at last. Then the sound of Carol of the Bells cheerily springs from my alarm clock to tell me morning has arrived, and I pick up my hammer, Twitch. Nice. That one's very fun. That was a good one. <laughs> nice. It's got a great rhythm to it. It does have a great rhythm. I like that. Yeah, spectacular, like, speed and pulse to that one. Yeah, <laughs> snap, snap, snaps. Let me, nice. That was by Sarah Credence. Nice, nice Sarah Excellent Credence. Excellent poems, Sarah Credence. Beautiful. Loved it. Join our Tiger Amanda and relax with the salts of Wonderful Body Co. These soaks and scrubs inspired by popular books and characters are designed to delight multiple senses with fragrant scents and sparkling mica. You can also find rollerball fragrances, hair oils, perfume, and wax melts. With dozens of options available, you're sure to find something you like in the Wonderful Body Co. collection. This week, Ode is recommending the Cinnamon Rolls Rollerball Fragrance with the scent of, you guessed it, fresh baked cinnamon rolls. Find Wonderful Body Co. online at wonderfulbodyco.com or go directly to the shop at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash wonderfulbodyco. Hail Dictinus! Snaps for Dictinus. Snaps for Dictinus and a little smoke. So this offering is from Rhiannon. Who is in chat. Who is in Rhiannon, chat. it's your story. Content warning. Animal death. Hmm. My full ghost story isn't technically mine. It's more so my father's. Though I was there, albeit barely conscious, at only about four and a half years old. <laughs> This took place at a crappy little house we lived in in Georgia. We often moved around due to my father's military service, and my mother had only recently gone back to work as a waitress after the birth of my little brother. At the time this took place, it had just started to get cooler and was nearing said little brother's second birthday in the beginning of October. My father was home alone with us kids while Mum worked a late shift at the restaurant. 
It was maybe 8 p.m. when he awoke from the impromptu nap he had taken on the couch. But it was what awoke him that started the strangeness of the night. Every single light in the house was turned on. And I do mean all of them, even inside the rooms where the doors were still closed. And also... If it was just you kids, uh-huh. a four-year-old is a four not going to reach. They're no. not going to reach the light switches. No, the bedrooms, the bathrooms, the pantry and laundry room, and of course the living room lights that awoke my father in the first place. So all mm-hmm. the lights in all the rooms, mm-hmm. and unless this two-year-old and four and a half-year-old were, were savants, <laughs> right? They did not. Turn they those did not turn on these lights. <laughs> This, of course, was weird because he had fallen asleep when it was still daylight. No need for any light Mm -hmm. to be on, let alone all of them. Instantly paranoid that someone had broken in. Understandable. Correct. Understandable. He dialed up the restaurant my mom worked at as he cautiously went around checking every room for any sign of an intruder. As he's doing his sweep, he asks, did you forget something at home? You left all the lights on when you grabbed it. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't wake up till now. What the hell are you talking about? Replied Mum. She had been at work for hours and home was a good half hour away. There was no way she could have driven there and back in the short lunch break she had. Confused, but with no sign of any intruder and myself and my brother asleep in our bedroom, my father began to relax a bit. Maybe redid it? Woke up for a snack or the restroom, turned them on and went back to bed or something like that, my mother suggested. Not tall enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe, but I don't think they're tall Uh enough. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it's fine. Just go back to work and I'll call you if something's up again. I was, in fact, not tall enough Mm -hmm. at the time to reach any switches in the house. Hell, I swear, even the doorknobs were up higher than average in that place. My father, confused, though seemingly safe, settled back on the couch and fell back asleep for another hour or so. Fair play to dad. He once again awoke to every single light on. Mm. But it wasn't the lights that woke him this time. It was the sound of the static of the television growing louder and louder. Oh, I don't like it. Mm-mm. One would assume he rolled over onto the remote, but it was sat right where he had left it on the coffee table, <sighs> frozen as he watched the volume display click up by a few notches till it was as loud as it could go. He finally broke free and smashed the power button on the telly itself with such force It was permanently stuck and had to be fiddled with to get to work in the coming years. Now he was definitely freaked out Uh for obvious reasons. Uh God, what's that film with the girl gets where the little girl gets stuck in the TV? That's Poltergeist. Yeah, that's Poltergeist vibes here. Yeah. Now he was definitely freaked out for obvious reasons. But my father was a career military mechanic. Right. Though he he was like, there's got to be a reason. Mm. Though he later in life would come to believe in ghosts, at the time, he was strictly rational and science-minded, even when it made no damn sense. He chalked it up to faulty wiring in a poorly built house, 
And after checking in once more to make sure me and my brother were still sleeping, set to turning off all the lights once again. Only this time, as he leaned into the walk-in pantry to grab the light cord, he heard small footsteps run towards the open door and a loud slam as something about the height of a small child smacked into the back of it. Thinking for sure this would be the proof that it was actually me or somehow my brother playing a prank on him, he quickly shut the door to look behind it at where the oddly silent crying child must be. As you can probably guess, there was nothing there. There was nothing. Cursed. Cursed. Got gremlins in this house. Uh He stood there in shock until that, quote, rational side (laughs) started to take over again and made him think that somehow we had slammed into a door, turned around, and ran down the hall and back into the room in less than a second. To pretend to be asleep Logical, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Finally, looking away from the floor and down the hall seemingly proved him right as he caught the sight of the tail end of a white sheet rounding the corner, running to the end of the hall far faster than any child could have, he began to yell out at the full figure walking away from him what seemed to be an about hip-height child with a sheet draped over them in the classic fashion. In the classic shroud fashion. Yes. That yell was very quickly cut off as he watched that sheet suddenly drop to the floor with nothing supporting it Uh, at uh, all. uh -uh. Ooh, this child goes playing tricks. Mm -hmm. He didn't go back to sleep after that. Good. (laughs) Till mom got home well after midnight, constantly pacing around, keeping watch over us sleeping kids Uh and the rest of the house. Uh Mom told him he was just still half asleep and probably saw nothing, The lights and TV must have just been a fluke. They went off to bed and managed to sleep a few more hours till the last event of the night. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Remember how it was finally starting to cool off a bit? Heaven after a hot and humid rural Georgia summer. So to save a bit on the electricity bill and because the weather was so nice, we'd often leave windows open with just the screens on. Anyway... One of the only windows with no screen bolted on it was the large skylight that illuminated my folks' bathroom. Wait, there was a skylight with no, that an open skylight with no screen? Yeah. Let's see. One of the only windows with no screen bolted on it was the large skylight huh. that illuminated my folks' bathroom. Okay. Wouldn't normally have to worry about anyone or anything coming through when the right. fall would have been a good 15 feet or so. Yeah, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Oh, Rhiannon says in the in the Discord that it could open a little bit like a hatch. Ah, gotcha. But at about 4 a.m., Mum wakes up screaming at something causing a ruckus in the bathroom and then in the bedroom itself. A damn bat had gotten through, gotten lost, and was slamming into everything. Oh, no. Least until it hit the ceiling fan and oh. smacked into the wall, leaving a bloody trail down it that stain that never fully faded. Ew. 
It died instantly, at least. Yeah, at least there's that. After taking care of the cleanup, the poor thing left behind, and consoling two terrified kids that had been finally awoken by the bangs and yelling, (laughs) they went back to bed and never really had any experiences in that house again. There was some shit in that house. There was some shit in that house. I don't know if the bat killed it or what. The blood offering? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Bat came in and, and, and sacrificed his little right? self. Knock, knock that ghost right knock out of that, that house. Ghost right out. Who knows? There was sure a ghost in that house oh before. My Holy shit! God, <laughs> a, a, a spooky child. A spooky child who obviously liked to um, you mischief. know mischief and have the traditional you know sheet over mm-hmm, the head. Mm-hmm. The shroud. <laughs> the shroud. Oh. It just wanted to fuck around a bit. A bit I guess says Rannon. Yeah. Your poor dad. <laughs> Your poor dad. <laughs> Just every light in the house every turned light. on once. That could be a fluke. Once that could be. But the watching the fucking TV. The, 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 the power thing. go up? Yeah, yeah. No. With all the lights on again. And again. Knowing the children are asleep. Uh-huh. And knowing logically well, and like that the, it could not have been that. Well, and like he can see the remote and he can uh-huh. see the volume going. So it's not like there's a kid behind the couch yeah. doing the volume okay. up. Spooky, spooky. Spooky, spooky. That was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> yes, that was. That was good. Oh, my God. So I have a short little one from Maud and Ernie. Okay. Okay. This isn't a scary story, but it's a funny anecdote from a ghost encounter. This September, my spouse and I were visiting the... And my is Maud. So Maud is, is the husband telling okay. the story. Um, this September, my spouse and I were visiting the Monte Vista Hotel in downtown Flagstaff. It's known to be haunted. When we got to our room, we set out some offerings and waited for someone to show up. We had a lovely and kind bellhop on the second floor with us. My spouse is more psychic than I and was able to talk to him. He commented, oh, the bellhop was the ghost, I ah. guess. He commented on how our ugly brown and beige room should be all orange instead. <laughs> Uh, so from the 70s, maybe? Yeah, yeah could be. Uh, they asked him what he wishes hotel guests would do more or less of. He responded, sex. I wish they would stop having sex so much. That's all people seem to do when they come. <laughs> <laughs> Rendezvous. Uh-huh. That was mostly what we got from him, and we weren't able to talk to any other ghosts. <laughs> Although we did feel some ghosts in other parts of the hotel, a main spot being the laundry room on the oh, third floor. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder what happened in the laundry room. Watching that must all be those so. Sex sheets? Maybe. Yeah, that must be so <laughs> tedious, though. Yeah, if you're a ghost stuck in a hotel where people go. Everybody's having have liaisons. A, uh-huh, exactly. Mm-hmm. In the flagrante delecto. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right, that that is all from Maud and Ernie. Okay. Thank you, Maud and Thank Ernie. Thank you, Maud and Ernie. Oops, I missed some of the bits from the end of their email because I was like, oh, that's the end of the story. There were some other bits from oh, Rannon's oh. Uh, email. Oh. Bullet points. The cause of Rannon's only irrational fear or paranoia that have opened doorways, especially when my back is to them, being the creepy old woman spirit who would watch them as a kid. Ooh, yeah. Spooky Rannon. Um, said old woman spirit originated in the house I grew up in that used to be a hospice home. Okay. Under, that makes sense. That makes sense. That tracks. Yeah. Rannon's best friend growing up in a home in Michigan that was a former funeral home. Oh, God. Her basement room was the defunct crematorium. Oh, jeez. No, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, Rannon has had multiple run-ins with what they believe to be the La, Le- La Lechuza, the owl witch, before hurricanes and other large storms. Okay. Uh, and then 
has had encounters with the things that sound like coyotes, but are not. Mm. The things that act like cows, but are not. Mm-hmm. Both sound very unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that I know no one who's routinely camped in the national parks around the South that doesn't eventually believe in B- Bigfoot and or aliens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shit happens in national parks. Shit happens. Absolutely some Absolutely. shit. I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. some shit happens in national mm-hmm. parks. Admittedly, sometimes it's just like a bear or whatever, but some shit happens. Okay. Okay. So my final offering Mm -hmm. is from Finn. Okay. Oh, Finn is also in the Discord. Yes. Okay. So there's a little uh, introduction with backstory before the actual poem. This poem never got a title. It was written the night I was told that my uncle, my best friend, had passed away. Of all the deaths in my life, he is the only one I have shed a tear for. The backstory other than his passing. Once I got the news, I just got in the car and started driving. I don't know where I went or remember much of the drive. I found an old abandoned church with the stained glass windows. For whatever reason, I went inside and sat in a pew around 2 a.m., Sitting there with the moon flooding the windows, I wrote this poem. To this day, I cannot find this church again. In the depths of this desolate prison, where moonlight's pale tendrils seep, I kneel, a forsaken soul consumed by darkness, trapped in this icy stillness, waiting. Immortal forms, Trapped within glass confines, soar amidst the swirling dance of haunting dust, etching their spectral presence upon my tormented mind. Tears stain my visage as I raise my anguished gaze, crying out, oblivious to my wretched existence in this forsaken place. That's very sad, Paul. Snaps. Snaps. Good job, That's Finn. beautiful, Finn. That is beautiful. Rhiannon agrees that that was beautiful, Finn. That is beautiful. Yep. I have one more story. This one is a fiction story. Ooh. It was written by Kivutar. Kivutar actually sent us three stories. And I was like, oh, I could do all of them, but that's unfair. But I just picked one that uh, I, because I didn't read all of them, but I picked the one that like I most liked the intro to. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so. A report from Captain Azaz... I'm a guess on the names here on the pronunciation. Yeah, you gotta go. A report from Captain Azaziab Meremez to his cross-colonel Deminit Bila, dated the 12th day of the 4th month, 1507. May that which is above, etc. <laughs> this is it. a very, like, military report I vibe. I love it. I arrived with two enlisted men in the village of Datiz-e on the evening of the first, four days after the initial report of the events last month was received at the lower Datiz barracks. Datiz-e is a small village like any other in the passes, with perhaps 300 inhabitants when the goat herds and peddlers are at home, which they never are. There are two larger squares and a smaller one, which contains the local headman's house, as well as the tiny Orthodox temple. Datiz-e has no unorthodox temples, and on their holidays, the handful of unorthodox families walk a mile up the path to Datiz-i, which is slightly larger. On ordinary occasions, they meet in the home of a certain widow Tabat, of whom I will have occasion to speak. Agid Amsa was there to greet us, along with the priest. He is an older man with sunken eyes and a hooked nose, and the priest turned out to be his nephew. 
We were somewhat surprised at how little the other inhabitants appeared to note our arrival, but took it for the simple provincialism of mountain folk. The headman invited us to stay in his home as guests throughout the investigation, which we accepted, as there was nowhere more suitable. In his home, we were also saluted by the local water authority, the headman's niece, though the priest's cousin and not his sister. She has only held her title for a short time, inheriting it from her mother not two years ago. I tell this to you, Colonel, not to tire you with village gossip, but to make it plain how thoroughly this one family controls Datizi. None of the local Lamgals of old could possibly have held tighter sway over their lands than Agid Amsa and his kin held over this little speck of a village. The priest, who was still young enough to be old-fashioned, resented our imposition from the beginning. Throughout the evening, he made several remarks as to his own private efforts thus far, which were confined to the usual rites. What caught my interest here was that not only had he been called to the afflicted house, but that he had been there every day since, presumably in the hopes that, though his prayers had failed the first time, they might become more efficacious through repetition. I love our narrator. He's the most sarcastic bitch. (laughs) I love him. Okay. Have you then seen the apparition for yourself? I asked. No, officer, he admitted. After the first time, it has been walking about, and I have heard many reliable persons testify. It was easy enough to obtain a list of these so-called reliable persons. Ordering my men to find them throughout the village and bring them to my makeshift office on the headman's veranda, I continued my questioning of the priest. Tell me, nameless one, said I, did you prepare the boy's body for burial? Myself and the widow Tabat, he said somewhat sourly. And I believe that the widow Tabat was the first to report the apparition. She was, and had the sense to call in an orthodox priest to set things right. At this time, the headman, keenly listening to this entire exchange, interrupted. The widow Tabat is a sensible woman, he declared, her opinions aside, and would neither lie nor disrespect the dead. And yet it was no dead boy, said the priest, never a live one nor a dead one. Now I asked him a series of simple questions. When had the boy first arrived in the village? On the 20th day, I was told. How long had he been living at the house of Widow Tabat before he died? Half a day until the next afternoon. And he feigned to be a living boy. Was this boy known? How fared he now? The priest confirmed the first report we had heard from the widow's son. In the hot middle hours on the 20th, a boy by all appearances, the nephew of Widow Tabat, had arrived, barefoot and unkempt, at her house. He spoke, but gave little explanation of his presence, and suspecting family trouble, that kindly woman had plied him with food and not pressed the matter, expecting that he would explain himself soon enough. Not one to wait too long, however, she sent her son to Datis I the next morning, charging him to find out what had happened. Before her son returned, the boy's apparently lifeless body was found by her daughter-in-law in the kitchen at the top of the stairs to the women's rooms. Horrified, she had sent for the priest, and together they prepared to hold the vigils that night. A moment, I said. Is there no doctor in Datizi? There is not, said the Amsa stiffly, and the priest's face twisted. There was no question as to whether he was dead or no. The neck was all twisted. I felt almost as if he had fallen up the stairs. Since the priest had seen little else, I turned to the water authority. And you, madam? I have seen nothing, though I spoke to several of those who lost livestock. Accordingly, I took their names, and the next day received a stream of them, beginning with the widow Tabat herself. She was remarkably calm. It seemed that when she had learned that her true nephew was alive and well, no evil spirit held the slightest terror to her. Did you notice anything strange about the boy? I asked, and she nodded. Everything. But it was his face and voice, so I never doubted who he was. 
Everything, madam, is not useful to me, I said, and she offered a few details. Though he had supposedly climbed the mountain path barefoot, his feet were not nearly as cut and swollen as they should have been. I even killed a goose for him, she sighed, and he only picked at the innards, though he's always eaten like a goat. This was one of the flock of geese that was killed that night. It was. And you saw him kill the geese. One of them. Did you see him get off the beer? She had not. When the priest had gone to the temple in preparation for the vigil, and she was in the kitchen preparing the various offerings, her son had returned, breathless and unnerved. They had run downstairs to find the beer empty, and then throughout the house, finally spotting a small figure in the yard. As they watched with horror, it twisted the neck of the last goose and ran off. The beer was downstairs then, I asked. She nodded. Our family has been unorthodox for five hundred years, and though the priest grumbled, he knew that it would be done our way. Did the boy appear black? No, his own color as he had been in death. I'm certain, for he wasn't wrapped yet. And have you seen him since? No, praised the below and the above. I dismissed her and entertained a series of householders who had lost livestock to broken necks. One or two confirmed the widow's description, a boy about ten, naked as for the grave, with abnormal strength. He had not spoken. No one had seen him indoors, though a girl did swear she'd seen him in the well tunnels. I did not believe that account held much weight. Young girls see many things in the half-light, and living young boys frequently make mischief. I will confess, Colonel, that I began to take some of these reports seriously. One enthusiastic goat herd carried a dead kid to me, and its neck was indeed broken. Certainly there was some creature out and about harming the livestock. I did note, however, that none of the dead creatures were beyond the strength of a ten-year-old boy. Despite the stories of this creature's strength, there were no old billies or any of the village's few cows among the slaughtered. I sent one of my men to fetch the boy in question, the journey is short enough, though hard, and went to inspect the various sites. Who did I find at the widow Tabat's home but my old friend the priest? She suffered him, I think, because both wanted nothing more than to talk of ghosts, ghouls, and apparitions of all sorts, half remembered from parables and old books they hadn't read. I let him talk on, as it did no harm, and looked around the house. It was all as had been described, a simple village house with stairs down to the women's level, a working floor, and an upper room. There had once been a doorway to the next house, but it was long bricked over. The women's room had an entrance to the well tunnel, though none of the exits were nearby. How could he have left the house then? I asked. No door is barred to the dead, quoted the priest. <laughs> That's as may be, said I, but there's no door here, and I doubt very much that the boy you saw was dead. There's the window, said the widow, though I should have seen anything go through it. These people had cleared away all evidence of the abortive funeral, and so when I had taken notes of the layout of the house, I left. The boy himself, when he arrived, proved a disappointment. The story had made its way up to his village, but he himself was confused and could shed no light on anything. I sent him on to his aunt's tearful embrace and the priest's frantic blessings. That evening, someone pounded on the headman's door. It proved to be the potter, beside himself, screaming that the ghost had taken his ducks. My men and I followed him to find two ducks with broken necks, feathers ruffled, but with no other injuries. There were no signs of any apparition. As the potter refused to touch the ducks, we brought them to the Amza's house with us, and his servant plucked them to the priest's silent disapproval. Tell the congregation that I went black in the face as I swallowed, and my fingernails turned into pebbles, said the headman equanimously. I will tell them no such thing, uncle, sputtered the nameless one. Certainly not, smiled the headman, for if you do, I will hear it from your cousin, who walks the village as widely as you do, on paths where she can neither be seen nor questioned. 
I was reminded of mad old General Cezal, who believed he was made of cake and always slept with two servants by his bedside to keep the mice and one another from nibbling on him. <laughs> Have you goats, Headman? I asked to break the silence. Two, long tethered on the outward sides of the house. Have they been attacked? No. How large are they? Small enough, perhaps, to be in danger. On hearing that they were small goats, and confirming that most animals were now penned into porches, kitchens, tunnels, and wherever there was room, my men and I prepared to wait outside till we saw signs of this creature. The household went to sleep, though there was certainly a candle in Agid Amso's room, and we lit no fire, relying on the moon, which was bright enough, though slim. Sometime around the third hour, one of the men spotted movement near the goats. I ordered them to go no closer, and as we watched, the outline of a boy took shape. I saw a hand grow out to one of the goat's horns and cried, Hold! Identify yourself! I have filed a separate report with Colonel Bursman regarding the actions of enlisted man Gurfa. If I have my way, he will be discharged minimally as a fool and officially for firing against orders. For as the creature seemed to pause, a rifle cracked beside me and the figure vanished. It took some moments to light a lantern, but when we reached the spot where the apparition fell, we found only the body of a boy about ten with a bullet wound in his chest. He was dead. As enlisted man Gurfa was quite useless upon hearing this, I sent the other soldier running to Widow Tabat's house post-haste, and he returned to the uproar with a safe, sleepy child in tow. We shooed the locals away, aside from the headman and the midwife, who was the nearest we had to a doctor in that hopeless village. There were bruises on the boy's neck, consistent with the story the widow's family had told, but otherwise nothing notable. I confirmed with the family of Widow Tabat, though I had asked previously, of course, that the boy was not and had never been a twin. As there was nothing else to be done, the next morning we transported the body back to barracks for examination by the surgeon. He declared it to be a normal boy, perhaps ten years old, though he did note the oddly soft hands and feet as seldom seen among the common people and still more rarely among the mountain villagers. He could not say whether the cause of death was a crushed neck or the bullet wound. With nothing left to do, we buried him in a field a little ways away from the town. Enlisted man Gurfa was placed under guard in preparation for a hearing, though he was permitted to offer before the grave. The surgeon has written to his old academy with a medical account of the autopsy, along with several sketches. I have placed a copy of his letter in the barracks archive, and am attaching a generalized sketch created at my request. Some of the more superstitious men have taken it upon themselves to pile up a large heap of stones on top of the grave, due to a foal in the stables which recently died, the grooms assure me, of the flux. Still, camp roopers are what they are, and this measure has at least soothed their minds, if nothing else. So you see, Colonel, that while my full report sheds little light on the true nature of this disturbance, I can at least put it definitively to rest. Nice. And that's the end of the story. So doppelganger, maybe? Maybe a doppelganger. Yeah. Spooky. Very spooky. I like that. Mm -hmm. Very fun. There's a lot of fun world building in mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. that, like, I would love to read the... Because Kivitar told me these are... That they write ghost stories mm. as, like procrastination projects when yeah. they don't want to write their like normal project i would yeah. love to read some more the main project yeah. that this is all from yeah all right well i think that's it yeah yes that's those, all the stories those are all the stories so this was fun we yeah this, this was a lot of fun and we got, fun. i thank you to everyone who submitted Absolutely. stories i don't think i missed anyone i think i got a story from everyone yeah who, yeah. who submitted some so, so thank you so much 
this has been, I think, the best storytelling episode yes! we've had in a long time. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. We, May need to be a, a, a regular tradition now, yeah. Tradition. <laughs> Yeah. This was this was a lot of fun. So yeah. I had a good time. And I hope everyone else enjoyed it too. Yes. Spooky season. We have so many creative people. We do. And we people do. who've had spooky encounters. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. So. so yeah, you can find us in the search of your choice if mm-hmm. you search the number three and the letters P-A-A-C or the number three and the words Pagans and a Cat. You can also just go directly to our website at the number three pagsandacat.com where we have links to all the stuff we do, including our Patreon, where you can help support us. You can also support us on Ko-Fi at ko-fi.com slash the number three, Pagans and a Cat. There is a link to Gwyn's Patheos Pagan blog also mm-hmm. on our website, where she blogs twice a month. Mm-hmm. And you can also find her on TikTok, where she does TikTok things. Yep, and currently I'm doing once a week on Saturdays, I'm doing a uh, basic spellcraft kind of series. Mm-hmm. And I don't do any of those things. <laughs> Okay, well, this has been fun. Yes. Y'all have a wonderful Samhain. Yes, I hope everyone has a, Halloween. has a good spooky night. A good spooky night. And uh, we will see you next week. Yes. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.